0: Stop to listen. You can hear their hearts beating loud. Can't keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves County Radio. On today's program, COVID-19 and community responses, impacts and cultural health implications as we hear from Indigenous community leaders throughout the region. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio.
1: You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone fool in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley mm-hmm. And you know when come Kamakani blows Welcome to the American Indian Airways, and we're going to discuss the issue of Manokea and an update of Manokea, first of all. Please, Nico, will not you introduce yourself to, the, to our listeners? Okay,
2: my name is Nico Martin, and I'm a, kind of an infamous songwriter. Written some songs here and get involved for many years, 50 years of all kinds of issues, from the environment to human rights, and focusing particularly on the uh, Reemergence of Hawaiian Islands as an independent uh, nation-state, actually a monarchy, a constitutional monarchy, and we are getting closer as the days as the days progress.
0: Thank
1: you, and Lolani.
0: Uh, I'm Lolani Teal, and um, I'm with the Whole Piefono Peace Project. So I do peacemaking work. I also play music with Kaliko here, and I'm. Uh, I'm an artist and a cultural practitioner, and I work with Mauna Kea. I've worked with many of the issues surrounding Mauna Kea for about 20-something years.
1: Thank you very much. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit of background of Mauna Kea, just in case they forgot about it. Explain what Mauna Kea is all about for our listeners, please. Well,
0: Mauna Kea is the tallest mountain in Hawaii and in the Pacific. It is also the tallest mountain in the world would measure it from the bottom of the ocean and so it's one of the largest things on earth and it's very very sacred it is also how we traditionally as the various peoples of the pacific have found other it's probably the central point which helped us to find each other across the vast expanses expanse of the Pacific. And that mountain has been a very sacred place of worship for many, 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 many generations. Unfortunately, in the last few decades, the state of Hawaii, which as Lico indicated is illegally occupying our dependent country of Hawaii it is you know has decided to exploit many of our resources and one of those has been the Summit of Mauna Kea, which has been used for science. The state of Hawaii has been subleasing the summit of Mauna Kea, the very sacred summit of Mauna Kea for astronomical development. Now we're not against science, but we are against destruction. And there's been a lot of destruction associated with that. The worst destruction that has thus far been proposed is the construction of the 30 meter telescope that they plan build on the summit of Mauna Camp. So we have been opposing that very strongly from the first time that it was still opposed. And as you know, indigenous peoples are supposed to give free prior and informed consent for any project to go forward and from day one the kanaka maoli people were very very clear that the answer was absolutely no and unfortunately we've had to since then make that clear in many lawsuits court cases of all different kinds and then in the last few years with our bodies on the line. Uncle Liko here is one of the 33 kupuna who were arrested on Mauna Kea in 2019 in July and uh, when they attempted to forcibly build the telescope. So right now we are in a state of opposition. Now because of the COVID-19 crisis, we have some reasonable belief that they are less likely to come now and try to forcibly build the telescope. However, we cannot completely rule it out. So a few people are still holding down the protection of Mauna Kea physically, while most of us are doing that from home, basically online and through other efforts that we're doing Uh, including working with the universities and many other things.
1: We're speaking with Lalani Chile. She is a Hawaiian citizen uh, fighting for the rights to protect the sacred sites in Manokea before we go into the, spe- uh, the specific activity of what people are doing and right now under the conditions of covid 19 that everybody's experiencing on the mainland Nico why don't you explain to the public once again why is monokea so important to the Hawaiian people
2: Mauna Kea, the issue there uh, it's kind of it's kind of like when a pot starts boiling and the top blows off top blowing off this uh, situation in Hawaii with respect to Hawaii's indigenous peoples, the Hawaiian nationals, uh, and the top blowing off meaning that the, the state of Hawaii, which is just the name of a corporation, Hawaii has never been te- technically legally uh, annexed. Or even uh, the vote in 1959. Since that time, almost 50 over 50 years, the acceleration of the deprivation of our liberties under the laws that we, you know, are inherent to uh, under as part of the Hawaiian Kingdom. The uh, United States, of course, in 1893, failed to uh, honor its treaty uh, with the Hawaiian people, although it has never declared a war or anything. So, Mauna Kea in the in the last fifty years, over fifty years, has been a resurgence culturally here in the Hawaiian mm-hmm. Islands. Okay, and which is putting our our group as a whole and, and in many parts at an advantage, similar to what the Seven Generation Fund has been accomplishing with building up uh, and your dependence upon yourself in Mark in, in, in providing healthcare and providing food systems, as I've learned in the last years with seventh generation. So they should be, you know, holding their territory good, their sources of food. And it is, it is really focusing on what we've been trying to say, just don't don't let us speak the language, because in my days, we weren't allowed to speak the language. You know, we need our land now. So as an example, taro, the production of taro, which is the clay. if anybody's ever eaten taro chips, granny goose taro chips, that is the base uh, food for the Hawaiian people here, Polynesians, many people in the equatorial belt. You know? So now it's like the distribution this coming April 20th, uh, Earth Day. For example, some of the farmers, the uh, younger farmers, and this is younger generation who picked it up, they're going to make the seed, the huli, what we call the huli, the offshoot, just like a child coming from a, from a parent, you know. They're going to make them available to people to start planting. I would imagine if you are a cultural uh, practitioner, uh, you're going to be doing your weaving, you're going to be working on your canoes, uh, you're going to be uh, basically... Uh, taking the opportunity to enhance your environment, that in many cases has fallen by the wayside because of being swept up in the whole technological, uh, I'd say, the plight of the earth because of this tech, you know, everything that's happening. So it's a really advantageous point on that level. With respect to Mauna Kea, like Laulani said, you never know when they will strike, and from what we're seeing on the various islands, uh, some. Uh, mayors are—they uh, have curfews at night now. Over this weekend, Easter weekend, of course, there'll be a big curfew. But curfews are being put in. Uh, access to beaches, though, for for fishing and things, things like that, have been pretty much shut down, unless you live in a very remote area that cannot be enforced. Okay, so it is affecting our our natural way of living. And going forward, how we will be able to isolate and keep clean our communities is going to be the challenge. I just found out last night in Maui and Hana as an example, a very isolated community of Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian stock there. It, it got infiltrated with the virus. There actually, National Guard is be coming in and going to be locking down the entire area. And of course, the testing, because here in Hawaii, we're kind of like way, way behind Marcus. because there's, they're not testing. They're still allowing people to come in, flights, advertising for hotels in Waikiki. It's ridiculous. You know, they have not taking it seriously. So although our numbers are low right now. So, you know, it's up to us basically to do preventive measures and uh, of course, looking at, in the Near future, not too very few, the availability of goods uh, will uh, as as we know now across the across the globe getting uh, the the food chain is kind of been disrupted, so be dependent more upon as we were in the past in our culture upon our planting in the land Fortunately, here at Laulani's place there's breadfruit trees and and there's some taro in the ground and some country setting and um you can do a little bit in a little space. In other words, home gardens, the victory gardens, like in World War II. There were many gardens that just sprung up. And, and many of the cultures that who, who reside in Hawaii as a result of the plantation, some of them more strongly have have stood to those agricultural roots because they were all basically agrarian came here. So anyway, that's our kind of situation. But Kea is the wild card, but it has blown the top off the legitimacy of a U.S. corporation coming in and replacing a Hawaiian monarchy, a constitutionally governed monarchy, and the people's will, interfering with the people's will to self-determine that and bring that back because then instead of two laws on the land, you have one law that services all. And it was the laws of the Hawaiian kingdom were very strict with respect to protection of sacred places, protection of the resources. There was no such thing as diverting rivers and, and depriving people of their, of their ability to survive simply. Okay. So I hope that kind of gives a little bit of a What what's happening here in in the island.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Nico. It's been described by different individuals about the disease capitalism, about morbid, about the system that we live under uh, is is taking advantage of the situation. A lot of corporations, like in in Canada, Mm -hmm. the government gave the loan to a pipeline company in order to continue their work. And the information that I received so far was that a lot of the companies are beginning to construct and to creating and initiating activity within their staging areas, within the pipeline of Canada, because now they got the money, they got the loan from the Canadian government. My question Mm -hmm. to you, both of you, starting with Lalani, with yourself, what's happening on the site itself? Are the people that they disband from the location of the road? Uh, please describe to the public what's going on, specifically on the people that were the defenders of Mauna Kea.
0: There are a small group of Kiai, or protectors, who are still remaining on site at Mauna Kea to ensure that no construction attempts take place. You know, you would think that the governor of the state of Hawaii and the um, TMT itself would give that assurance, but no, they have not given any assurance that they will not proceed with construction, and they very well could because we're seeing that elsewhere in Hawaii, for example, in a place called Hunana in in the, Wa- the Waimanalo on Oahu, just recently. The, the city and county attempted to bring in bulldozers to do construction of a playground that the community absolutely opposed because it would make money for their friends, basically. And so the community had to come out and oppose that physically, even despite the coronavirus situation. And then, of course, the police came in who were opposing the actual threat because the KIE were social distancing, you know, and were wearing masks and doing a lot of precautions. Then ironically, the police came in and broke that space and came close to them and issued them citations and told them that they would be arrested if they did not leave. And so they basically cleared people out of the way in order not to protect anybody from coronavirus, but in order to ensure construction, taking advantage of the coronavirus situation, ensuring that they could just have an easy access and be able to have an excuse to clear the people out, but the moment that they actually brought in the bulldozers, they bulldozed the first piece of land and they hit a bone immediately. And so the whole construction project stopped and it is stopped, we hope, permanently. That just goes to show what happens during these lockdowns. And so in the case of Mauna Kea, there are a few Kiai who are remaining on Mauna Kea because in the event they do show up, they're going to call the rest of us. And virus or no virus, we have to protect the land. I mean, we will be as safe as possible. We care about public health a lot but the the exploitation of these situations are is unacceptable
2: marcus i'd like to comment a little bit on that so like in at uh and on oahu at waimanalo here you have just a background on on just the blatant disregard for the rule of the for the rules that were that are supposed to follow is that this area has well long been known for its uh, burials and it's a it's a place that was designated because it was sandy there and it's actually on the u.s federal you know the united states national register of historic places but despite that you have this kind of arrogance in in coming out of this of the corporation state of hawaii and that's a, a Washington, D.C. corporation, by the way. Now, getting back to Mauna as as uh, Laulani said, the disregard blew the top off the pot up there. And there are literally still thousands of people. You know, a truce was called. And like I told Chancellor Yang when we first met him a couple years ago when we came, mm-hmm. and I handed him a letter, a report that was going to the United Nations on to bring, to bring question to, well, what happened in 1959? You know, what problem there? How can we ke- keep getting to expose the, the uh, base, fundamental plundering of our resources here by the judicial system of a Washington, D.C. federal corporation, okay? Now, I told him then, and he was kind of shocked. I said, there was a truce that was uh, put into place in Mauna Kea, just about the turn of the year. It was a two-month truce. The time came up; it lapsed. It was the end of January, I believe. And nobody, And then, then things started to shift. And it was like, well, we call up, and it's a matter of good faith, as I told Chancellor Yang. It's a matter of good faith here, and of course, the faith. You know, we're seeing that faith means uh, a power, abuse of power over here, and so it's to remain to be seen what they will actually do and and how a response at this level. Uh, you know, in conditions of our, uh, you know, whether or not they will proceed. I'm really glad that the last efforts of everyone at the, at the Board of Regents, uh, Laulani went up there. I'm, I'm still locked. I've got. Uh, I've still got a fish on the line in the courts. Courts, uh, the the courts as again, the necessity of the courts, to a certain degree, uh, very, you know, limited on the ground, but nevertheless, like, listening from Seventh Generation, uh, Arthur Manuel says, you know, it's a swamp. So we're in the swamp, and so it's like going to the swamp, checking my line, they're all tangled up in trying to semantically bring enough of... A, so that state of Hawaii is good to go, that everything is good to go here. And they've, they're, they're really caught, uh, the state of Hawaii and a lot of the players and the industries that have benefited from it. Okay, and one of them being the tourist industry. The tourist industry is just massive displacement of our people.
1: This will continue the discussion as far as Mauna Kea and the experiences and the treatment of Kanaki Maulis and their sacred sites. We are
0: second.
1: Listening to American Indian Airways Coyote Radio. Continued discussions of the COVID-19 Indigenous People series. We now turn to continued discussion with Liko Martin and Alani Teeley. What's going on there, and how are people dealing with it? Okay.
2: Um, so far as uh, at the uh, what what leadership is doing is uh, it's. It's, they haven't closed down their airport. They're still allowing people to come in internationally onto, onto Oahu, which is a pretty pretty grave undersight, uh, if you're asking me. They're mm-hmm. trying to maintain, again, that capitalism thing. And right. capitalism is really showing here in the islands how devastating it has been, especially acceler-
1: we, Nico, accelerating. Why don't you give us some examples of that?
2: The dispossession of the uh, indigenous peoples here, the Hawaiian nationals, the disposition through land sales, through real estate, okay? And the dependency on uh, the shipment of foods. Right now, fortunately this is something that hasn't struck, not quite like a tsunami or anything like that. It would totally inundate uh, our, our ports and means of getting food for people. This capitalism has turned into, it goes to the highest bidder. That includes the indigenous people. We can control them. We'll work their lands. If they want to work for us, fine. We'll pay them what we want to pay them. And it's, I guess, a real repetitious uh, pattern. But it's very, really severe because here in Hawaiian Islands, we don't have like a reservation per se. Okay, like in America too, there's areas where there are undefined borders. There are more traditional borders and cultural and then through uh, through environmental borders have culture. And here it's just been a wide open, full court press since nineteen fifty-nine when when the corporation has come in, the capitalism has completely, I would say, except for a few pockets, completely upended our ability now to and, but I guess we had the Renaissance, okay. Now this, and, and even in spite of giving us our language, I mean, the one, one hearing, it was uh, example, uh, Senator Inouye who's passed on now, uh, was saying, well, don't you have your language? And one of our elders at that time, who was really primarily the issue came up because of health concerns, 800%, all the mortality rates said, we need our land too. And that is what is the issue now. So what has been happening, different islands, you can't get to the beach anymore to fish. And for for so for the the people, the Hawaiian people and the people who have embraced the Hawaiian culture. You gotta understand we're not just like, you know, this race over here. We've intermarried through the years. You will find somebody who's very looking, maybe Portuguese or Japanese or something like that, who actually holds the the, the secrets that the for the, you know, where the fishing spots are. So you can't got to be very careful in Hawaii, okay? Because uh, what we call it is the kama'aina. The kama'aina is the people of the land. They might have blonde hair, blue eyes now, but they were there when the elders were there and they were past certain things. And then you have the bulk or... <laughs> So reorganizing, you have areas that were pretty much kind of like imposed um, apartheid areas out in Waianae, like Waimanalo apartheid areas where you have given us the distinction of being a native Hawaiian under tribal uh, American thing. And that has really caused a a great disruption in our unity, which now is, you know, people looking back, well, you had to get into this program as capitalism, right? It's our land. It was taken over by a bunch of brigands and the pirates in 1893. We got a civil war going on. And that's the point I wanted to make up on the Mauna Kea. All of a sudden in the state, and they say they use the word truce. Well, weren't we a civil society? That's the question here. There is no civil society here. We are under a, a, an occupation. have taken over the Hawaiian kingdom, altered the laws, Uh, basically treating the Hawaiian people, they call the shots, okay? So what we have is then is a civil war here. So on top of having the virus now, we have the effects of that kind of imposition, 128 years going now of this enforced imposition. Of course, the military standing by them doing their thing, and then all of the various corporates. The capitalism of tourism. Has wiped us out, okay? Wiped us out, taken us, taken our fishing grounds, taken our places where we gathered, where we lived, and communities have been pushed back. How, and then there, and, and like I said, there's still uh, the head of the, the tourist industry who's got a good, you know, Polynesian face, but saying, oh, come on, everything is good, everything is not good here, okay?
1: Now, Nico, how was that? affecting these assistance
2: fishermen and the way people get food. Wiping us out. All the parks are closed. And, and when they first started to close the parks for fishing, they closed all the toilets, all the bathrooms. And then the lieutenant governor, fortunately a very, you know, a, doc- a doctor actually, said, no, you can't do this because these people don't even have homes here. So they had to come back. In other words, it's just more oppression. Yeah, more control. We can't go to the beach, unless you actually live there right in the thing, you can't go across to the beaches to fish, okay? The mountains are a different thing. You go up there and hunt. So they're, they're just, it, this is the condition and that's pretty much on all the islands. Kauai is a little bit more shut down and, and and you have this whole kind of, I mean, I hate, I think of the Iraq war and I think of these wars you know, and all of this training and all this militarism that our people here in Hawaii have participated in. I mean, it's just, a, it's an exercise for them and it's dangerous and it's its um, without, without them focusing on trying to get the testing equipment and basically, you know, go, if they have to go house by house to identify areas that are safe, no, it's just gonna be more oppression and more domination, okay? And how we come out of this?
1: Uh, how does it affect the service industry and many of the women work in the service industry
0: whether it be hotels or be restaurants or the entertainment industry how's it affect the women and the families well i think that one of the big concerns that we have and a lot of a lot of communities have this concern is that women as you say often work in jobs where they are potentially exposed whether it's in the healthcare sector or whether it 's in other sectors that are not very well paid and they 're being forced to work overtime in these high exposure situations, and then they come home and they 're forced to stay home at, at that point. their whole family is home and there 's a great deal of violence we 're seeing a great increase in just uh, other kinds of abuse and you know, just people's mental health kind of crumbling. You know, one thing for Indigenous peoples, and I know at least for Kanaka Maoli, for sure, we don't do so well inside. You know, indoors is not a healthy place for Indigenous peoples to be. And, you know, one thing that I really want to emphasize, because I, I am a public health person also, I have a master's degree in public health and have studied Indigenous health quite a bit, Keeping in mind the balance of all the different health dynamics that are going on right now is very, very important. As far as this virus transmission, danger is in contact and social interaction. It is not in being outside. And that's something that I think we need to keep in mind because in order to keep our cultural practices strong and keep our to, to keep our sanity and to keep our sense of who we are it does require being outdoors you know it requires being in that space where we can connect with our creator and with creation that is part of us as indigenous peoples and that in itself is not dangerous and it does not pose a danger to anyone else either and I think that people really, really need to understand that those cultural practices, whether they're fishing or working on the land or um, going to the mountains or whatever people may do individually, are not at all a threat. And in fact, now is a very good time for those things to continue being stuck indoors with a lot of people for indigenous people, especially is a recipe for disaster. We don't do so good in enclosed spaces. And we have a couple hundred years or more in some cases of proving that, that that doesn't work very well for us. And those feelings of being trapped inside Um, can stimulate historic trauma for a lot of people. For a lot of men, we're seeing definite historic trauma being stimulated by that feeling of being trapped indoors. And quite frankly, it's being taken out on women in a lot of cases. But it's basically due to the mental health kind of starting to crumble from the, from being stuck inside. So, you know, my recommendation is people do need to go out, get, Air, you know, exercise their sovereignty to a safe degree, and um, and be who they are. That's that's very important in this. And at the same time, we've got to look at what's going on, you know. And we t- talk about this disease, capitalism. There's also disease militarism. And right now, as we speak, the United States military, which happens to be all around the island that I'm on right now is continuing with its activities with very, very little restraint. And we have to remember that every battleship, every military vessel is every bit as bad as a cruise ship. We we know what happens on cruise ships. We know that they incubate viruses and cause a place where people, where a lot of people will catch it at once and then go out and spread it. And that's how it began to spread from the cruise ships. But it's also spreading from military vessels. And we don't have the information on that because they're not sharing the information on that. The one guy, you know, off the coast of Guam who, um, who chose to share that information was fired. That was one vessel. There are many, many, many more like it, and they're not sharing that information. Here in Hawaii, we're looking at an enormous military exercise called RIMPAC that they do every two years where they bring soldiers and sailors from 32 countries, 32 massive military powers around the world come here to Hawaii every two years in order to do training exercises. In other words, to blow up our land and our waters, to explode bombs and to do other things. They're planning to do that. They've, they've made very clear they're not canceling it this year. And that happens in June. So certainly the risk, even if this subsides, the risk is, will not be gone by then. But they're very set in this militarism. They've made it very clear that their priority is still making a big body and showing that showing that they're tough to the world because right now America's getting hit so hard and is um, and is in a weakened state
1: you're listening to the American Indian Airways conversations with Liko Martin and Lalani Chile on our special COVID-19 indigenous people series and finally concluding remarks with Liko Martin and Lalani Chili.
2: It's like a push lawnmower, you know, a push lawnmower. And a push lawnmower, a real good one, cuts on the push and it also cuts on the pull. And it's an art cutting both ways. Okay. And what came to me as I was out in the yard today, within this time that we had in this beautiful time, is that we have, in my experience in my life, in my light, I'm 74, this year I'll be 75. I am witnessing the two coinciding prophecies. One which is very familiar, in other words, this is our connection. Why Mauna Kea? Why the people of Hawaii as the people of the Pacific? Why? Kanaka Maule is one, because we are the true people. We call it indigenous people, maybe in our language, the Kanaka Maoli of the land. You are the Kanaka Maoli, the people who are true to the land, to the environment, to the natural law. Okay, so I consider you Kanaka. And the two coinciding prophecies, one of which is known in Indian country, is portrayed on prophecy rock up in Hopi land. And it it depicts a straight line and in the center of this line is a ladder extending up, which suddenly falls off. And before that ladder, you have a man with a staff and a child in his right hand. And it's not a, it's not a spear. It's a shaft for, for taking care. Yes, for being a caretaker. And in his left hand is a child. And the story is that a time would come, and the time I believe has come already that, Man would go, they have a choice to go up this ladder. But at the end of the ladder, it's an abrupt drop. So if you follow the line, on the other side of the line, if you don't go on that zigzag or didn't go, you have that same you know, petroglyph person with the child and three stalks of corn coming out of the ground, the traditions. The traditions, you call it culture, the traditions, no matter what land, what people, they have traditions, you follow the traditions, you either do or you don't, you're in or you're out. And sometimes it's hard to tell until it's too late. Now, so in this, purific- in this, in this prophecy, it's a purification, it has to deal with purification by fire. And the quest was that if the true Way brother could not accomplish their mission, That we would go into a purification of fire. And I believe now, because of this, some see it as a catastrophe, some can see it as a blessing on the earth in in the time of purification. Okay? And the the true white brother is here. Okay? It calls and, you know, we are... uh, in other words the true white brother i it is hard to you know is it a person is it a technology is it it's, and maybe it's a combination of both where you have a generations of people now around doesn't you don't have to be a person of color recognizing the need for balance in the world the balance of nature and the harmony amongst peoples and the respect for culture and all of those things and sacred praises and life the, the essence of life so the next part of the it, it is that it. so we have a chance we have a chance as we can see because of this pandemic the skies are clear people are are, are amazed at how how quickly their environment what if what if we did a shutdown uh, once a month maybe these were these are some of the lessons that we learned going forward now the next part of the prophecy now of the hopi prophecy is that in 1982 i was very privileged to attend a traditional elders' conference up in Denebito Wash, Uh, that's up just below Black Mesa. At that time, of course, the threats for the coal mines, uh, the congressional action had had broken the traditional boundaries and traditional uh, living places where the people in the Four Corners area habitated, and that's when the trouble started. And it's very obvious why it was happening, because of the mining that was to take place. And since that time, look at the condition of the world, but then again, see how quickly it can change in favor of the environment to give us another chance. I'm aware and applaud really, you know, to the Hopi, uh, you know, and the few who, who, who were able to stay there on the lands, but the, the dispossession and the movement has, has really created like here in Hawaii, displacement of the people. But at this elders conference, a representative from the United Nations came to the elders and asked them, if there was a law, could you write it down? What, what law, what, what would it that would guide humanity? And it's called, they came on the third day, this very eloquent, beautiful speech, and I'm sure somewhere around 1982, the people out there, scholars, it's called the Declaration of Natural Law. And I kind of put it into a song, one time and then it's called the medicine man and uh you know but in the verse it says you know we can live we can love according to natural law okay and that's what is coming to us now natural law and at at that event there were two significant things which tie us into bring what brings can bring unity and uncle dan the place where this uh conference was the first day uncle dan Protocol was set. First, they thought they were going to have two tents. But then they just said, well, let's be real. Okay, who's going to speak? The elders would speak and the rest of the people could listen. Because what's the point in separating people from hearing the message? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, Uncle Dan walks into the middle of the circle. And he was a host there. I mean, his shirt's unbuttoned, crooked, his hair wasn't combed. And he sits down in the middle of the circle and he puts his can there. And he tells his story. He says, when I was a child, I used to wonder whether or not the elders were talking, the prophecies would come true. And he said, now I see that the prophecy is coming true, that the Hopi and the Dene would fight and that the new holy people will be coming on the land. The new holy people. Now, so, you know, that's, it. it, it's like God's grace. Where is the grace for America? The land that's known as America. So the connection to Hawaii is that in 1978, uh, after a storm, the Hopi sent a messenger and they asked, do you remember us? I personally took back one of the stones that they sent to say, yes, tell us the story. Tell us what we are supposed to remember, but we're here. And what they told us on December 30th, 1978, as my family and I were up in Hopi on Christmas Eve, okay, just about New Year's, they said they called the people of Hawaii the Hawaiians, Grandfather. And one by one, the elders came into the room and they brought these scrolls and I had to read these scrolls and they were to let grandfather know that they were faithful to the arrangement that was made whenever that arrangement was made how what millennium and what age it was made and that they are our family but we are grandfather and then as i told them the story of the storm and and this did and i one by one they came up and i mean not to demean the elders but boy you know you look at a wax museum there just you could see the age and the, the the dignity that they carry, All the clans, snake clan, they had all these various clans. They are no longer alive. So when I began to tell them about the storm, they all started talking to each other. And I asked the interpreter, did I say something wrong? And she said, no. The language that they were hearing was the Hopi language, was the old language of the Hopi. And what they were saying was, it reminded them of the time of the prophecy. Okay, now Mao is no longer alive and the prophecy would mean that if true white brother failed, that tra- the traditional, the real traditions of the Hopi and the traditionalists will go and return to Kawestame. There's kind of a dispute there. Some people say it's the Grand Canyon. They sent the cross and the stones to Hawaii. Hawaii is home. Hawaii is home to all of you. I've been with the Dine, I see the Lehu shells. In the, our culture, we know the history, what little we can remember, right, Marcus? From, from the time when the canoe came into, you know, and it's all, I see it in the faces, the DNA, the Kanaka, it's in our DNA, okay? Now, the coinciding prophecy. So here we have this prophecy now, okay? The coinciding prophecy with Hawaii has to deal with the events of 1893, when the Hawaiian Kingdom was established, a neutral country that kept the balance of war and power in the Pacific, was overtaken by, with the help of U.S. military troops, and they put in place what we have today now as a puppet government and the, the words of alfred desire some strange form of occupation well basically what we have is had a takeover but the prophecy of the queen told us tells the story of why the two coinciding prophecies the tw- the queen begged the the uh, sugar planters and businessmen who now c- still control hawaii and to use the people and the resources there. And we all know the history of what's happened off the shores of Hawaii. Starting before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It was the bombing of Hawaii. It was the taking of Hawaii that led to these things. But she said that the God, God shall not be mocked. That the God that these people came with shall not be mocked. And that if not in their time, in their children's children's time, the curse of Joab shall fall upon them. And the curse of Joab has many aspects, one of which, they would die by the sword. And their country, and, and it, they just would be, you know, this is the condition. That's why I see the two coinciding prophecies. So I speak out and share this with American Indian Radio. Aloha to you all. Welcome home to Hawaii. Hawaii, we are here to defend Hawaii. What we have here is to be a, supposed to be a sanctuary. Now, we know what it is. It's been a military bastion for so much, you know, so much destruction and desecration in the world, and the tourists and everything. Okay, but we are at a different point in time now, and going forward, and this is how to be aware of this, that we are connected, we are Koko, we are family. And we are all of the people who are gonna feel and be the Kanaka and be the true people of the earth. We're all connecting together now. And this is what came to me to share that I felt was really important, uh, the coinciding prophecies, Marcus. Okay, so aloha out there. I've taken a lot of time and I wanna just let Laulani speak to you and I look forward to you. uh, so we do you have quarantine places there. Is there somebody like me showed up and I guess that's what you have to have now, huh? But I yeah. miss you folks. I look forward to, to returning to the land of which gave and the people who gave sanctuary to my family who uh, immigrated from Europe many, many years ago. My father in my mother's land. My loyalty is always there and from my father's country and the people there that you would become aware of this and restore and lift the curse lift this thing up okay so anyway it's been a great to see you uh, sharing again on american indian airwaves uh, aloha to you all look forward to uh, the next uh, meeting that we have <clears throat> and we are one only power stand fast take care of each other and um, you know be careful and take care.
1: thank you very much those are those very profound words it reminds me of the elders that spoke before they are long gone and that you carry the message well. Any La- Lalani, you were here two weeks ago. Yeah. So, And what do you want to say to the Southern California or, or the population that hears this message through the Internet? What do you want to say to our listeners?
0: Well, first of all, I'd really like to thank the people of California, like you, Marques, who've been putting the pressure on the University of California, um, not go ahead with the 30 meter telescope on Mauna Kea. And that has been really, really crucial. I think that we're very close to them potentially, hopefully, turning around based on the pressure that has come from the students And the Indigenous people, such as yourself, you know, and other Indigenous leaders that are around these other campuses of the University of California. And the general people there really, really put great pressure on those that are holding the power to be partners in this 30-meter telescope, you know. So I think that... The thing about this situation with COVID-19 is that it's really brought us all to a very humble reality in a lot of ways. Um, It's made people think about what really matters. And not to say that science doesn't really matter, but when you have a science that people don't want because it involves destruction, because it involves crazy amounts of money, because it involves... Um, exploitation of this earth that we need to sustain, and whatever happens, you know, come what may, we need the earth. So, I think that this situation has really brought that light of truth to that situation. And um, for sure, the people of California, the students, the indigenous peoples, the regular people have really put a lot of great pressure on the university of california on the gordon and betty moore foundation on all of the california partners and i believe that if we can keep that pressure on through all of this that we will be able to turn this around so that pressure needs to continue For the University of California, it needs to continue for the California Institute of Technology, who is a very major partner, who is very set on building the TMT on Mauna Kea. Pressure to the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, you know, who have an ecological mandate. So it's very ironic that they are funding a telescope that destroys such an incredibly indigenous site. So just keeping that pressure on and um, as Likos connected, it's very, very important. One of the things that we are working on here that our piece is is working on is facilitating a bit of a a platform for us to do a more formal vision of each other as the legitimate folks people for the earth in many ways the legit governance of these lands you know we have these things called states and we have these things called federal governments and city governments really the indigenous people never give up the governance of these lands and really the indigenous peoples would do a really good job right about now taking care of the people, ensuring that the resources are protected, making sure that everything works in difficult times and in good times, and um, that it all balances out not to oppress anybody, you know, to let people have decision-making power, but to make sure that those things stay in the realm of what is right and what is good for everyone. And so... That's one thing that we're really working on, is the recognition of the Indigenous peoples everywhere as that legitimate governance. Whether they're recognized by the occupying government or not, we need to recognize one another.
1: Well, I thank you for, for that. What is your message for the younger generation and for the women that might be listening to your voice you're a very strong woman you're a mother and also come from a very extended extended family as it were to the other nations other women of other nations that are always the leaders of our nations and young people outside of of california and within the turtle island that we live on
0: for the young people for the young people do not be afraid of yourselves. You have great power and inspiration within you that's been held back. And the time is coming for that to really come forward in a powerful way. Do not be afraid to let grow let that develop don't let anybody tell you you have to be this or you have to be that and so therefore you cannot be what is really inside of you it is going to take all of the talents and skills and beauty and amazing forces within the collective spirit of all of these young people to come forward in order to her world it's not going to be what anybody tells them to do it's going to be what's inside of them and what they know is right and that's my message to the young people is don't be afraid don't be held back just keep going you know what's right stay on it and we believe in you so that's my message to the young people my message to the to the women is that we are coming into a time where matriarchal order is going to be very important. And I'm not saying that women should oppress anybody else. I'm not saying that that all genders aren't important. But I do, do think that restoring that balance with the land and with the idea of having the aunties in the communities, I mean, in a really simple way, if we Look at this COVID-19 situation. It's a great example, right? If you, you, there are still some people out there being stupid, right? But then there are also some people who are out there who really need to be out there, you know, cultural practitioners, people who absolutely need to be out doing what they do. But the problem is that the police current governments, they can't tell the difference between people being stupid and people who are, you know, doing very important work. But I'll tell you what, an auntie, an Indigenous auntie can absolutely tell the difference. And all she's got to do is show up to um, think about how to reinstate those kinds of powers that are very important for our communities because there are things that, those matriarchal forces can do that that nobody else can do, just as there are things that our men can do that nobody else can do. And we need all of those forces to be working together to rebuild something that really works for everybody.
1: This concludes our COVID-19 and Indigenous Peoples Series. This interview was done on the 12th of April 2020. Thank you from the American Indian Airways Collective, Larry Smith, Fabiana Hirst dubin and Marcus Lopez. And thank you to Lico Martin, La Longni-Chili, Copa Aina, Buffy St. Marie, Aragon Starr, and to you, the listeners.